Andy, welcome to the Orchie Rugby Podcast, ahead of the Lions' second test against South Africa this weekend. The Lions just about getting the job done in Cape Town last weekend. And Donald, I guess just to recap quickly on it, we won't spend too much time on last week's first test, but I remember thinking at halftime, I'll never get that 40 minutes of my life back. It was pretty dour, boring stuff. But by the end of the game, actually, the fact that the Lions managed to come back when it looked like they were dead and buried, really, it was quite something, I thought. Yeah, look, it was a, a strange occasion, the whole thing. I mean, I was in the ground two hours beforehand. I mean, we've got to get PCR tested now. We get it the day before. The regulate the rules and regulations around the COVID are incredibly strict, and, and, and rightly so. Uh, so it really, it's amazing that the test series uh, has been able to get to this stage, given all the, the issues that there have been. Uh, but, you know, I was, I was at the first test in 97 in Durban, First test in 2009 in, uh, or sorry, first one in 97 was in Cape Town, 2009 Durban, and the atmosphere, just the buzz and the sea of red. And uh, it's totally different this time. You come into an empty stadium. Even the Springboks you could see for the national anthem, they were quite, quite emotional, but nobody there. Um, now, that said, as you said, the first 40 minutes, I suppose, from a Lions perspective, uh, you were quite worried because. Because, I mean, the big question mark coming into the opening test is where exactly were the spring box because of all the issues that we spoke about last week. They actually hit the ground running quite well and uh, dominant in the scrum. Their kicking game was far superior to the Lions. Uh, but to be fair to, to Gatland, I think they made adjustments at half time. We always felt their bench was going to be that bit stronger. And uh, their kicking game improved immeasurably. Uh, now, looking back at the game, and Razzie, Razzie was quite animated and has been all week. Um, Razzie like and raging. his alter ego. Yeah, yeah. Who, uh, well, Bernard might have an update on that. I mean, I was at the, the virtual press conference the other day that he denied it was him. But I think, uh, I don't know, something else seems to have come out now. Uh, but uh, to me, it all smacks as if the, as if the Springboks are rattled. Uh, Warren Gatland, they're up in Humanus. They're about an hour and a half out of Cape Town here. They're locked away in a in a hotel on their own, and they seem to be doing fine, to be fair to them. But uh, I think Gatland is loving all the hassle and all this kind of controversy that's coming out of the camp. It's playing right into their hands. Bernard, um, I woke up this morning, uh, logged on to social media over my morning cup of coffee, uh, and lo and behold, an hour-long video of Razi Erasmus going through the problems with the refereeing um, from last weekend. Um, an hour-long video from the South African Director of Rugby, highlighting where he thought the referees basically made errors, the problems with the water-carrying issue, Warren Gatlin, the Lions. It was quite something, I thought. Yeah, and unfortunately, I only got to listen to about 25 minutes of it, so I don't know how it ended. It's like a, it's like a series on Netflix. Um, but yeah, it was fascinating, to be honest. Look at, you know, he's trying to, he's trying to win the battle, um, and he's trying to highlight some um, inconsistencies in terms of... Um, how he feels the review process should happen. So he's blaming Warren Gatland for going to the media and, and speaking out and the pressure they put on Marius Yonker. He's blaming the fact that, you know, he tried to ring the referee Nick Berry at five o'clock on Sunday to talk about some incidents and Nick Berry was asleep. You know, and it was, was that he said five, five o'clock. Yeah. In the afternoon. <laughs> he, he like, uh, so oh, he's, right. he's having, he's having a few low blows. Um, and then he tried to ring Joe's Hughes, but there was a, Surprisingly, George Hughes' uh, voice message 
um, is in French, so he didn't know what to say. He didn't know he didn't understand what Joel Jude was saying, so he couldn't leave a message. Um, but look at that. I'm looking forward to hearing the end of it. Look, at, there's no doubt that Razzie has gone to social media. Um, he's basically saying that he needed to have the match review with the referees on Sunday, and that would have affected his selection. That he had players coming to him saying, give me feedback on that decision, and, and he didn't have clarity, and um, that he only got that on Tuesday. So he's thrown it back at World Rugby, and he's trying to basically, yeah, pressurise the referees. There's no doubt the second half, the, the momentum swing in terms of decisions swung completely t- towards the lines. Now, I think the box, you know, the, the replacements front row didn't do what Razzie thought they would do, and Mako Vunapola... I mean, you're better to be born lucky than rich. And, and, and like, Macapola Polo wasn't supposed to be in the squad. And suddenly he comes on and has a massive influence in terms of winning a test series. And once they started to creak at the scrum, their discipline went. I thought they had fatigued. There was a few, you know, their mall defense was sloppy. The, a couple of uh, tackles drifted up high. And just, you know, so they have they have a part to play themselves in why the, why the referee went 9-1 to one against them in, in that second half. But... Yeah, it's it's mad. It seems to be Razzie is is not backing down. I mean, and there's been quite a bit of criticism of him. I don't understand this criticism, Bert. Just on that, you know, and then this morning as well. I, I'm watching people this morning comment on this video saying, "Oh, his reputation has taken a big blow here. What is he doing? This is crazy stuff." I I think if the guy has issues and he wants to air these issues and it can help him towards in any way persuading the referees as to his view, I don't blame him one bit for doing this. Well, look, look, it, I, I actually understand. Um, to a certain extent, where he's coming from, because he's not just saying, oh, the referee is blind or the referee is biased. He's actually showing clips. Now, I will say that Warren Gatland, if he went into the same level of detail in a game, could find things that were missed as well. So, you know, um, it is very easy to take a, um, a singular view of a game and find out things that were that were missed. But what, like, he's not backing away from it. And in fairness to him, the, the part I listened to, and I'm sorry I haven't listened to the whole thing, I only got it re- uh, before the show, was he was uh, explaining step by step what's led him to use social media as an avenue to voice his, his frustration. So, um, you know, the, the whole, the, you know, people are saying, oh, he, he's losing it, you know, the pressure's getting to him, blah, blah, blah. But in fairness, when you watch, if you have time to watch that hour video, and I mean, unless he goes off the rails at the end, I see is him, you know, starting off explaining that I don't want to, I didn't want to get involved in this. I wanted to go through the proper channels. Uh, Warren started, okay, and it's a bit of, he said, she said, and I put, um, his big issue from what I see there is the, is the lack of communication from the refereeing team and uh, his lack of understanding of the protocols in advance. Now, he did admit that Joel Juge had sent an email saying, these are the protocols that are going to be in place for the Six Nations and they will last for the Lions tour, his argument is, well, we weren't involved in the Six Nations and we don't agree with the fact that, you know, we think Tuesday's too late to have the review. So that's, it is fascinating. I mean, but it's become, it, look, I think from this one, there's a reason I think he's doing it. It's completely taken the spotlight away from the players. Like, yeah. there was a lot of average Bok performances at the at the weekend over the 80 minutes. And, uh, like, no one's talking about, about them. No one's talking about Toje you know, getting one up on, on Estebeth. Uh, there's no one talking about Sia Khaleesi being quiet. Or so there's, there's not many people. They're all talking about Razzie. All talking about Razzie. So if that's if that's his, um, his real prime concern, uh, he's done a hell of a good job. And if, if he wins the test match, it'll be seen as being mm. 
part of it. You know? That's that that struck me Donald, straight away by all this that that Razzie has done a masterful job this week of taking the attention away from the players first of all, uh, away from Nina Barr and himself, and perhaps how they managed that second half, which was very poor, and overall. And the Springboks, you know, as Bernard said, some very poor performances. And the fact that Cheslin Colby, the best player in the world, arguably, pound for pound, barely touched the ball. He's deflected masterfully from all that. Yeah, there's no doubt about that. But look, take one step back. I mean, there's lashing rain here in Cape Town today. So I'm thrilled I have an hour now to fill the afternoon watching <laughs> Razzie's. Uh, so rants. that'll be the... Razzie's rants. <laughs> that'll be... That'll be the first thing I'll do. But listen, it's not the for it's not the forum to do something like that. Just take a step backwards again. The whole thing around the TMO, Marius Juncker, where the original TMO was killing, obviously because of COVID restrictions, he couldn't come in. But uh, Juncker has been savaged by on social media over here in South Africa over uh, a number of issues. One, the fact that Hamish Watson didn't get a yellow card, when I think we'd all be pretty much in agreement that it was a, a yellow card offence. They're raging over the uh, the turnover that. Uh, uh, Marawatoja got on the line. They're saying that he was resting his knees on a South African body and therefore wasn't supporting his own body weight. But you could go into hundreds of clips and see exactly that. Uh, and as Bernard is highlighting, you could micro, you can cut across any game, and there's certain things in a freeze frame which look awful. There's another one going around about a high hit on one of the South African players. But um, you know, the referee has to has to act in an incident. Now, personally, I thought during there was so much yapping going on between the officials and the TMO. It was, and we spoke about this before, Hugh, which was almost a complete and utter sideshow. Even more so in a in a stadium where there was nobody there. And in fact, where we were doing our commentary for RT Radio, Marius Yonker was sitting in the box right across. We were kind of waving into him and putting up a, a couple of suggestions as to what he might look for. But uh, there's not even the press conference then on Tuesday. Jacqueline Arbor is the coach of South Africa, but Razzie came in and Razzie was sitting there and, you know, just looking out, it was done by Zoom. So we weren't obviously in the room, but uh, I thought Razzie's, he, he, he looked like a nervous wreck. He was twitching and moving around. And uh, he says he went to the press conference on the basis that he knew the thing about the Twitter account would come up and he was taking the pressure off Jacqueline Arbor. There's a lot of... Um, uh, feeling down here that Jack is is coach in a kind of, you know, he's almost a puppet for Rassi. And I think Bernard is right. All of this is deflecting from the fact that the second half, the Springboks were out on their feet. The front row that came on made no impact whatsoever. Uh, the penalty count, I thought was 8-2, Burt says 9-1, but either way, there was a massive, there was a massive shift one way or the other. I mean, the Lions, Tom Curry had conceded three penalties the opening 20 minutes, uh, Elliot Daly another two. But, um, so it's, it's, It'll be a masterstroke if the Springboks manage to bounce back because, as uh, you know, the, the pressure does seem to be off the players. But when I look at them, and, you know, I watched uh, Tate Lucanio Am, you spoke there about Chelsea and Colby, one pass in the whole game, which is a travesty. He's an unbelievable player. I saw some stats this morning about uh, the last World Cup uh, and the amount of defenders that he leaves in his wake, you know, that first tackle, the amount of fellow who he leaves sitting on his arse as he runs past him. Um, it is criminal that he doesn't get a pass. But, you know, I watched Lucan Yam and some of the, the, the Pro 14 games as they were for, um, for the Sharks. And I have to say, it didn't overly impress me. Having watched him in that A match against the Lions and seen him in the flesh last week, he's an outstanding player. So the spring Dialande between Am. Um, Cheslin Colby and uh, Mapimpi got one opportunity and, and nearly scored a try. I mean, 
the, the Springboks do have other options open to them, but they play such a sterile game. And the opposition know exactly what's coming. It, it sort of backfires on them. I mean, Mario Atojo is mm. quoted this week. Look, we know exactly what's coming. They'll come harder at us in the scrum, harder in the line-out, harder in terms of their kicking and uh, a much higher intensity. And that's what they'll bring. But when you look at it, the Lions, the Lions bench, in my view now, is superior in a number of areas. Um, so therefore, I think the Springboks, they have to have a massive reaction early on. They have to sort of uh, build up a good, like they had a nine-point lead last week, and that didn't prove enough for them. So it's, it's backs to the wall time for them. And the constant theme all week is, of course, they're going to come out like men possessed and they're going to have everyone. And there is massive scope for improvement with them. But in my view, there is massive scope for improvement within the Lions team as well. We saw the improvement in them from the first half to the second half. And they've been quietly confident, working away in the background. Um, so I think, and this latest Razzie rant, I think just plays plays into the hands of the Lions. Whatever about Razzie ringing Joel Juge for clarification and refereeing, maybe he should ring Ugo Mala at Toulouse Birch and try and get the best out of Cheswell Colby because... You know, it's very frustrating, I think, for an awful lot of people watching it, a talent like that get absolutely no ball. And I understand the strengths of South Africa, and everybody does. And we saw it at the World Cup, you know, when they played to those strengths often very effectively. But still in all, when you have a weapon like that and you're unwilling to use them, it seems, it's very, very frustrating. And it's a damning indictment on the coaches, I think. Yeah, and, and probably it's the first time the game has unfolded, um, you know, since since Kobe came into the into the team where... He has had such a lack of an impact. So I think they've, even though their game plan hasn't been built around getting him on the ball, because they kick so much and they put great kick pressure, it's invariably been, you know, the opposition kicking the ball back to him that's given him his chance. And he only needs one chance. So, um, you know, the Lions kicked incredibly well, uh, particularly in the second half and, and bringing on Murray and Farrell. Um, and they actually put... Um, both South African wingers under a huge amount of pressure and had them doing the things they don't want to do which is is, is you know challenging in the air for contestables that are kicked on to them uh, they're both very good at going attacking kicks from from Faf to Clerk so will Razzie change? I don't think they will I think they'll they'll try and copy and paste the, the first half and I think if Hojay is right I think they'll just they'll just try and bring more power and in fairness like you know they've made a change at ace um, I do the two errors from Quagga Smith early in the second half had a massive role in terms of changing that, that momentum. And I think they really missed Dwayne Vermeulen. Um, and if you look back at the World Cup, um, when Dwayne played alongside Sia Kalise, one, he's very good in the backfield under high ball, okay? And that's the... Both yeah. teams defend with their eight in the backfield and, and probably the box will regret not being able to, you know, really test Jack Conan there. They, their accuracy of kicking from Vassal Clark wasn't up to his usual standard. And Jack Cohn had a pretty much a free ride, whereas they would have tried to target him. And in the second half, the Lions managed to get after Quagga Smith in the backfield. And, you know, he had two key errors and that was the end of the game. They're bringing in Jasper Vise, um, who's, you know, who's a different type player. Probably probably will be better there. Uh, but the big thing for me about Dwayne Vermeulen isn't just his ability on the field in terms of what he does with the ball. He was always there beside Sia Kalise as an extra captain. You know, think about all the refereeing decisions in the second half. I think C. Kalisi was so out of match fitness himself. He was just trying to hang in there and play 80 minutes. Like, he wasn't his usual self on the field, but also he wasn't that strong character with the referee in terms of 
trying to influence things. And I think he really missed Vermeulen. Now, Vermeulen's not back this week. Although I have a very good contact in South Africa who just texts me boy, on this call to tell me that he's uh, if the box wins Saturday, Dwayne will play Test 3. Um, oh. you know, he's not going to be 100%, but they will take that risk. That's how key he is. So, um, yeah, it's, it's going to be interesting. Obviously, the change he made, obviously, apart from the eight, bringing in the two, the two front row or the two props that didn't um, perform in the second half. I do believe they are better props than the, than the ones that started. And I think, you know, that's going to be a challenge for, for the Lions from, from the get-go. What about the, the Lions changes then, <clears throat> Donald? McAvinapola in, Conor Murray in for Price and Chris Harris into the centre. Uh, what do you make of those? And equally as well, if you don't mind, Hamish Watson being left out of the squad is that punishment for what could have been a game-changing yellow card that didn't happen? Because I'm struggling to get my head around why you don't have somebody like Hamish Watson in your squad. Yeah, no, I think it's more to do... Like, Gatland has always had a thing about Falato, and I think he's very conscious of the fact that in the last 20 minutes, if the Lions are in the game, even within touching distance, you know, a couple of points behind um, the box, because of all the issues of COVID and because of, of loads of them not playing matches for so long, they do, I, I think the line's strong. And I think he feels that a bit of space opens up there and he wants Falata out in the wider channels. You go back to, was it 2017? He scored a brilliant try against New Zealand out in those wide channels. That's what he does. But look, that that's, that's I, I doubt if Hamish Watson would be sort of punished for the potential yellow card. I mean, if okay. that was the case, I think you could see loads of other changes. No, but I think, you see, there's a fundamental issue at play here. You go back to the World Cup. The bomb squad, as they were called, the 6-2 split of the backs and the forwards, which they couldn't do last week, South Africa, because they had concerns about Andre Pollard had so little rugby, another key player. He wasn't going to finish 80 minutes. They're taking a chance, a huge chance. If Andre Pollard was to get injured in the first 10 minutes, I think that's the Springboks done and dusted. Mm. Do you know what I mean? They have uh, uh, Damien Willems as a fullback, a centre, who's played a little bit about half, and they're talking about him covering there. But, you know, even park that for a while. In the World Cup, the bomb squad, the six forwards were so good, they made a massive impact. But you're, if you think about it, by definition, when you're up against a Lions squad, where you have four of the best nations coming together, then by definition, you have more strength and depth. So your bench is going to be, as a minimum, equally as good, but I would say even better. Yeah. So that's a plus. That's, uh, and, and one of the guys who was on that bench, of course, uh, R.G. Snyman, uh, with all his issues in Munster, he's not on the now. Lou Diagre, the other second row, he came on last week. He made absolutely no impact. He hadn't played for the Sale Sharks since last March. So um, uh, yeah, on top of that, they reckon Franz Malherbe, who starts now, they reckon he's about 10 kg heavier than he was at the World Cup. Um, they have an issue on the bench now because basically they have two tight heads on the bench in Incane and Richard Koch. Now they're cl- it was very funny in the press conference. Somebody asked, Jack Ninaber, who's covering loose head? Because um, obviously Oxen Shea is out of the squad. The beast has retired since the World Cup. And he was kind of thinking about it at the time. And he says, uh, Oh, Trevor played loose head a couple of years. He was a loose head before he went tight. And then Razzie threw And then Vincent Cock can play loose head as well. I mean, I found it fascinating. It was yeah. as if they hadn't even thought about this. So, in an area where they blew away everybody in the World Cup off that bench, they don't have that advantage now, and they haven't moved on from those, you know, from the way they play. So, um, you know, I, that's why I still marginally go for the Lions, even though everybody's expecting this backlash and all that. 
Uh, I think really the Lions, they have it within them to get the job done. The other changes, midfield, I think, was crying out. Elliot Daly hadn't started uh, at international level in the centre since 2016. Just his lines of running were a bit off. Just the physical battle. I mean, that first hit from Lucania Am, three minutes into the game, mother of God. Yeah. I mean, had there been 55,000 people there at that stage, the place would have erupted. Um, so, and to be fair, Harris has done well on the tour. I think Bundyaki is, is possibly a little bit unlucky. He might have had a go there. But uh, I think it's all or nothing because um, uh, I could see if, if the Lions were to win this test and win the series, see Gatlin turning around and making seven or eight changes next week and rewarding the fellas who've done well. And, and it has been an extraordinary tour. We've never seen anything like it. That They're away for six weeks, holed up in a hotel. Um, uh, so, I mean, I, it, it's been different in every way. But um, that's why I think, you know, if the Lions were to close the series you'd see a whole new team almost the following week. Just what's your sense, John? Have you actually spoken to any of the players? I know they're in a bubble and stuff, so maybe you haven't been able to get anywhere near them. But even do you get a sense of from being over there that they are going out of their minds of boredom? Or like, is there being enough done to occupy them? What's the social side of things like over there? Uh, the, yeah, the feedback has been quite good. Um, I did get to speak to Jason Leonard, who's the manager, Ben Calvillet after the match. Um, and like everybody was in great spirits now. Um, Michael Corkin goes out to the uh, to their um, their hotel base because we're uh, rights holders for the radio. You get to do one-on-one -on -one interviews, albeit at a distance. So, I mean, he has met a lot of them. They seem to be very happy. I mean, to be fair, the Lions, uh, like there's a whole cohort. There's a more backroom people in the Lions uh, than I've ever seen before. But, I mean, they have everything the players could want for. Um, you know, the team room is full of... Um, uh, every game and everything but like it's you know after a while you must get bored I mean I think it's a shame you're in this beautiful country like they haven't they haven't seen Table Mountain they haven't had an opportunity to go to Robben Island the things that you know that that make your tour the opportunity to go into schools and into the townships and mm. see I mean this country uh, I, I, I think this is my ninth tour here and uh, you know, it's it's swung from one way to the other. It's actually depressing now the amount of the amount of crime, um, like the the townships. There's a, a township outside Cape Town, Kailisha. It is just oh, yeah. mind-boggling what you see there. Um, so like you still have this massive wealth on one side and unbelievable poverty on the other. It's amazing to think that the players will have been here for five or six weeks, but they'll have experienced nothing of it and seen nothing of it. Yeah, amazing. And uh, as you say, not really what a Lions tour is all about. And Bernard, I just, you know, before we kind of wrap it up and get your final thoughts, do you think South Africa have the potential to improve uh, to such a degree to, to win the match this weekend? And, and in areas, I guess, you know, if the power game becomes kind of obvious to Razi Erasmus and, and Nina Barr after, say, 40 minutes, that the power game is just not going to work to the extent that they thought it was. We know they can play rugby. We know during the World Cup they can move the ball. They have a fantastic backline if they actually use them. Do you think that they will get the best out of the players that they do have out wide? No, I don't think they will. I, I, I genuinely think it's just they're not going to change the plan. Okay. Um, and the Springbok A game at that first half would still give them evidence uh, to believe in what they do. Um, so, like, I did, look, at, will will the ball get wide? Yeah, it might on, on turnover or whatever. But I don't see... In fairness, the Lions didn't really do anything. There's been no set-piece 
strike play, yes, in the in, in, in the A game or the first test that you go, wow, that was you know ingenious, whatever. But look at that might come. But it's about it's about set piece, it's about defense. The biggest issue for the box was their aerial game let them down and their discipline let them down. I mean, so like you know, Razzi and, and Jack Nienabar would say, Look, this is our bread and butter, we are good at this. We just lost some balls in the air, we made a couple of um poor poor technical um uh, impacts at, at mall time we can stop this lines more like they, they genuinely believe that we can we can continue to get dominance at scrum time uh, like we had in the first half so I, I i don't think so and i think also they're going to be so sh- shit scared of losing the series on, on on saturday that's not the environment like i think if gatland had lost the first test you know he would have had to throw caution to the wind and chase the game and he made end of Played, you know, with more abandon because you have nothing to lose. And I, I, I think the box, even though they need to win this game, they have a huge amount to lose, um, and they will actually get tighter and go back to type or stick with type more than the lines were capable of doing. Um, so yeah, it's going to be route one, and it's like it's up to the lines to be able to deal with it because it will be more ferocious. The the first twenty minutes will be more ferocious. I think the lines were ready for it, haven't had that shock in the first test. Um, and you know they backed their fitness, and, and they had some great bench options to bring on Mako, Connor, you know Farrell, etc. Um, and the box tired. Can the box last for eighty minutes this week? Um, I think if they're ahead, yeah, they'll be able to hold on. But um, you know they're not a good team chasing a lead, or not a good team chasing the result um, by playing taking a plan B on. Um, Donald, before I let you go, I presume you woke up to the good news this morning. Paul O'Donovan and Fintan McCarthy flying the Cork flag at the Olympics with gold in the rowing this morning. Fantastic, wasn't it? Yeah, it was great. I did to uh, try to look, look it up on RT. Unfortunately, the RT player doesn't work out here in South no. Africa. <laughs> uh, but I got a little bit of it. Yeah, look, I mean, I, I, I met Paul O'Donovan once where he was the Cork person of the year after their silver medal four years ago. They're just, they're infectious, aren't they? I mean, I yeah. saw Claire. I, I, I watched Claire McNamara's interview of the two of them after the game. And you could see poor old Claire was kind of... They were like a fella who kind of won a junior B match in West Cork on a Sunday afternoon. I mean, stopping the way home with a few points. I mean, there... And, you know, when you look, I mean, you have that, the, you know, the um, you know the famous um, gymnast from America who's, you know, just... A, yeah. John Biles. And, you know, you see the effect of the stress and the expectation levels on athletes at the top of their game, you know, how it can impact on people. These guys just make it look like a breeze. And I think that attitude, it's, you know, if, if you could bottle that yeah. and bring it into, a, I'd say if Razzie had that, <laughs> the three box might be, they might be a lot more relaxed and they might have a far better chance of winning at the weekend. I was and finally, they, I think, if, yeah. if, if, you, if you think the first 40 minutes last Saturday was boring, <laughs> I think you can expect another kick fest and even more this weekend. But look, uh, I think it's fascinating. I'm really looking forward to it. I think the Lions can close it out, but if that Springboks get the edge and, you know, it is backs to the wall stuff, it, it, it'll be fascinating. must say, really looking forward to it. Drop yourselves in. We're in for one hell of a ride. Um, enjoy the hour-long Razzie video this afternoon, Donald, uh, during the <laughs> rain there. We'll talk to you next week and enjoy the test. Thanks, Bert. Thanks, Donald.